0: I just want to go back a few decades and look at 1984. There's a gentleman by the name of Neil Postman. He wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in it, he says this, when a population becomes distracted by trivia, when cultural life is redefined as a perpetual round of entertainments, when serious public conversation becomes a form of baby talk, when in short, a people become an audience and their public business a vaudeville act, then a nation finds itself at risk. Culture death is a clear possibility.
1: Thanks for listening this Christmas weekend to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and you just heard a clip from Gabe. He's not in studio with us this week, as he and his team are enjoying the Christmas holiday with their families. 2020 has been, and I know you've heard this before, unprecedented. Between the pandemic, civil unrest, the election... Our world and our communities have been pushed at so many levels. At Q, Gabe and his team have sought to bring people together to think well about the issues of the day. And that has not been easy through 2020. After all, in spring, when the annual Q conference was supposed to happen in Nashville, lockdowns made an in-person event impossible. But Gabe and his team quickly converted the event to the Q 2020 virtual summit. But that's not all. After the death of George Floyd in late May and the following weeks of racial tension, Gabe, along with David Bailey from Arabon, hosted a live virtual event called Q&A Race and Repair to address how the church can engage in not just bringing an end to the racial violence, a true gospel reconciliation then in september as churches were wrestling with pandemic shutdowns and when and how to reopen gabe hosted another q a virtual summit called church and state featuring many different pastors health leaders and others to think through this difficult issue then just last month in november following our contentious election gabe and the q team hosted a special two-day q a summit It was a hybrid gathering, some people in person in Nashville, some others engaging virtually online, which featured longer panel discussions looking at the future of the church in America, both post-election and post-COVID. So as you can see, this has been a very busy year for Q. Most of those talks and discussions are available now at the Q Media platform on QIdeas.org. If you're not a subscriber, now would be a great time to join. Let's get to this week's talk. You know, one of the challenges our culture faces is that we live in a very distracted society. You don't believe me? Well, did you check your cell phone in the last three minutes? (laughs) Okay, if you did, maybe you're saying, well, so what? The reality is our distractedness is leading to so many other problems. Last year, Gabe had an opportunity to speak in front of his home church in Franklin, Tennessee about the distractedness problem and what it might take to be faithful as Christians in the midst of it. Let's listen in.
0: How do we think well about the moment that we're in? How do we think well about the culture that we're in? How do we get back to some basics and understanding how to read the times to kind of know what to do? Uh, and that's part of what my calling is in life and it's part of my opportunity here within our body. You know, if you're like me, there's moments you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got a great burden on your heart. And sometimes you know what it's there for and other times it takes a little searching. Sometimes it can just be, you know, a bad uh, fight that you might have had with with a spouse or a friend. It could be that it's one of your children going through something, but it's just there's this heaviness. There are times, though, for me that I wake up in the middle of the night and that heaviness deals with something at a, at a bigger level than just a relationship, but it's really around our culture. It's around the, the society we find ourselves in, the moment that we find ourselves in, the inability to piece together all of the little touches that I can see of where things are going off the rails, where chaos seems to be ensuing, and it can create a little bit of fear and also frustration that we can't get our hands on it. Or that I can't quite discern best what is happening? What is God up to? How do we prepare for this? How do we lead well in a a changing moment where it seems everything's up in the air and everything's for play, but who's going to actually lead? What are we to do? And then I'm greatly challenged when I recognize that as a society in 2019, we're more distracted than we've ever been. We find ourselves in a a place now where distraction kind of overwhelms us. We don't even realize it's happening in many cases, but I just wanna give you a few basic stats so you just kinda see what we're talking about here. For example, two thirds of our car accidents right now are caused by distracted driving. Two minutes is how long the average student can focus on a given task. 40 seconds is the typical internet user's online screen focus, that's how long that that lasts. 50 times is the number of daily phone checks for the average person between 25 and 34. 89% of us check our phones first thing in the morning as we're waking. And then on social media, age 25 to 34, 2.5 hours spent every day. In the course of a year, you're gonna spend 650 hours emailing or replying to email. Our eight to 18 year olds are spending nine hours a day on social media, commenting, searching, scrolling, seeing what others have to say about the world. The number of touches every day touching that little screen 2617 times we're touching the screen you see once you lose your focus it takes 25 minutes once you're distracted to get your focus back so this is my clue to those of you who are thinking about pulling out your phone right now because you're hearing a lot of information on your phone don't because it'll be 25 minutes before you're tuned back in but in fact today I would ask you let's keep our phones in our pockets the enemy loves nothing more than to distract us when we're trying to learn God's truth. He doesn't want us to hear it. That actually comes directly against what he's trying to distort and what he's trying to do. And so let's be reminded of that. The, the gentleman who created the Facebook like button, this was his famous quote, everyone is distracted all the time. And now we know from study of how a lot of social media has been developed that part of this has been intentional. It's been designed to really pull our attention away ...from other things to make money off of us because our focus zeroes in on that app or on that particular activity we're doing that takes us away from possibly being embodied. So I have to say at this moment in time we're in a predictable predicament. And the reason I say it's predictable is if we go back to 1984 and partly this morning we're going to have part education and I hope a lot of revelation... But I want us to understand our history a bit. As Christians, it's important that we understand the way the world has worked over time. And I just want to go back a few decades and look at 1984. There's a gentleman by the name of Neil Postman. He wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in it, he says this, when a population becomes distracted by trivia, when cultural life is redefined as a perpetual round of entertainments, when serious public conversation becomes a form of baby talk, When in short, a people become an audience and their public business a vaudeville act, then a nation finds itself at risk. Culture death is a clear possibility. This was Neil Postman in 1984. Now, Neil Postman was very much alarmed about the advent of television. It was actually the use of the screen and the fact that people were starting to spend a lot of time looking at this screen. And it was starting to rewire their minds and they were not doing some of the activities that were good for them, and they were starting to find themselves sitting on a couch, observing, wanting to be entertained, starting to think that life is about entertainment. But one of the things he did that I think is helpful in this particular book is he looked back to a couple of classics. A couple of classics maybe you've read. Any of you read 1984 by George Orwell? Or maybe by Audius Huxley, A Brave New World? You see, these were two predictions for the future written in the early 20th century, And in 1984, Postman's looking back at these two predictions and he's saying, which one of these got it more right? Where do we sit today? And so I want you to kind of take that quiz with me. Let's look at just a couple of the things that they thought. So first, Orwell, 1984, he feared those who would ban books. But Huxley feared there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Interesting. Orwell, he warns us that we will be overcome by an externally imposed oppression. Huxley believed that people will come to love their oppression and to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture with an infinite infinite appetite for distraction. Final one, Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. We wouldn't be able to see it or find it. But Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Now, which one got it more right? Some would say Huxley in 2019 was, was more right. We're more distracted. Things are more trivial. We don't want to read. We love our technology as it undoes our capacity to actually think. Then others would point to the coming years and say Orwell might be more right because there is censorship. There, is, there seems to be a push to, to ban truth or to keep truth from being as easily accessible. And so some might say, keep your eyes out because that future could be upon us. But either way, it's important to look at this because the search for truth is something that every human being throughout all of time has pursued. You're pursuing it now. Your children are pursuing it. We all long to know deep in our heart what is actually true and what is false. Isn't it interesting? There's times we discern that. We can just tell. But then there's other times we're so distracted we're not taking the time to know what is true from what is false. You see, this isn't a new problem. It dates back as far as history goes. And so I want us to take a look at theology. I want us to look at Paul. And I want to look at Romans 1, verses 18 to 32, where we can just, and I want you to just listen to these words. We're not going to have it on the screen. To hear how Paul talks about what happens when we start to get distracted and possibly don't know what's true anymore. He says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. And birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They even invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Romans 1 and Paul is laying out what can happen in a society, what can take place when we start to stray from what we know to be true. Rod says this, No society who has abandoned truth and a common way of figuring out the truth can survive. You see, having a foundation and a basis of understanding what's true and false, what's right, what's wrong, what's moral, what's immoral, is the basis of a flourishing society. When this starts to go out the window, everything can ensue. Chaos ensues. When we start to believe we know the truth based on our feelings or based on just our own opinions, that's called relativism. And relativism leads to only one thing, chaos. And when I look at our current cultural moment, that's what I see. I see a lot of chaos. I see a lot of confusion. I look at the next generation. I look at my teenagers and I look at the world that they're growing up and they're they're not always sure what's right, who can be trusted, where to find truth. Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this in a sermon in 1965. He said, how much of our modern life can be summarized in that arresting dictum of the poet Thoreau? Improved means to an unimproved end. We have allowed our technology to outdistance our theology. And for this reason, we find ourselves caught up with many problems. So I would just say this morning, it feels like we're in a crisis moment. We're in a crisis in the church. We're in a crisis in many of our families. We're in a crisis as a society. And I don't say this to burden you more or to make you fearful about this moment, but to call it what it is. Many of us aren't sure how to lead anymore. We're not sure how to defend what it is that we actually believe. We don't know how to speak the truth anymore. and We don't know how to do that in love and with grace and compassion for our neighbors. And so it's easier to just be quiet. It's easier to not talk about some of these things than to actually talk about them. But therein lies the vacuum and therein lies the void that the enemy always loves to fill with his own ideas, with his own distortions, with his own deception. And it actually angers me at how he goes after our children, how he goes after our minds, how he goes after our imagination, how he sidelines so many men in this world with addictions to pornography, how he knocks us out by distracting us from what he's really called us to be as human beings. You see, the enemy's having a heyday right now. And the church is the one place that God looks to and says, church, will you be the church? Will you trust me? Will you go deeper with me? Will you understand my truths that stand the test of time that aren't outdated just because nobody understands them in your current cultural moment? But then I'm looking at you as the church because we need you, the church, to be equipped so that you can go out and enlighten others and help others see what is true. You see, if we don't get the right diagnosis to the problem right now, then we're not going to get the right solution. I know this very well. A few weeks ago, I actually shared my testimony with those of you who were here about a healing that had taken place on my own physical body when I was suffering from a gallstone that had gotten lodged in my bile duct. It had blocked my liver. I was in intense pain. But through a series of following what James says of prayer from our elders, the anointing with oil, confession of sin, my wife praying over me for healing, trusting and asking in faith for God to heal, we went into the doctor to have surgery. The CT scan showed a seven millimeter stone lodged deep in, in, in my bile duct. But as we went through the story the next day and they went in for this two-hour procedure, they found that there was no stone there. It was completely gone. And the doctor didn't have a good way to explain it. He, he said, this doesn't ever happen. It was too big to pass. It, it wouldn't have dissolved that quickly. I said, so if you're a believing man like me, you could call this a miracle. And he said, yeah, I guess you could. But you see, earlier on in that story, I'd gone to the ER two days prior to this with pain and they didn't diagnose me correctly. They thought I just had heartburn. They said, go take Tums, go, go take some uh, numbing medicine for your stomach to get rid of the pain momentarily and that will help ease the pain. And so I was getting the wrong prescription for a problem that was much more severe and much more serious. And all it did was delay the pain, delay the truth, delay the knowledge of what was really going on in my body. You see Romans twelve two helps us better understand how to think well in these kinds of moments and gives us a prescription. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, the the world is constantly trying to conform you and I to its pattern. This is the way the world and the cosmos works. It's constantly trying to get us off track from what is true. And what Paul's pointing out to us in Romans 12:2 is the only way to fight that is to renew our minds. We need to be smart. We also need to be renewing our relationship with God. We need to, in our relationship with God, in our intimacy with God, have our heart just flooded with His love. But you know what else we have to do? We have to renew our mind. We have to be smart to the ways of the enemy. We need to understand history. We need to see where this world's going and participate with how God wants to see things renewed. You know, one of the things that saddens me right now as we look at research in in our churches today, 50% of pastors right now said this, that they frequently or occasionally feel limited to speak out by concern that they might offend people. One out of two of our churches have pastors who feel limited in what they're speaking to related to the truth because they might offend someone. This is the state of the church today. I look at our youth and I see a crisis, 64%, almost two out of three millennials, ages 20 to 38 years old, walking away from the church in adulthood. And when they walk away from the church, another stat is that 36% of young adults, listen to this, listen to why they're walking away. They felt they could not ask life's most pressing questions in the church. As a result, 23% said they had significant intellectual doubts about Christian teachings, And so they leave our youth groups, they go to college, they're presented with information from professors, from friends, from other opinions in the world. They go on YouTube and search everything they could find to debunk Christianity or maybe in defense of Christianity, all the information constantly available to us, but they're not grounded in understanding that the Christian faith can answer the questions they're struggling with better than any other ideology, any other worldview. But do we know that? Do we believe that? See, part of my journey over these last few years has been to kind of get out of the fog of the moment and to go deeper and go go back into history and try to better understand from those who've come before us the moment that we might be finding ourselves in. C.S. Lewis said it like this it's a good rule after reading a new book, never to allow yourself another new one till you have read an old one in between. Isn't that interesting? We have stacks of new books on our desk and nightstands, and I'm the same way, but We should go back and read old books because the new books don't always have the frame of history. And I think we do well to better understand history. And so for me, part of that pursuit has been looking back at old writers, people like Francis Schaeffer. I don't know if any of you remember Francis Schaeffer. He's an American that lived in Europe, started something called Labrie. Back in the 60s would host and, and continued in the 70s and now continues on today, even though he has passed. Creating space where those who were seeking faith, atheist, agnostic, followers of other faiths, could come and ask their questions honestly and could be engaged at an intellectual level. But as I read his book, The God Who Is There, written in 1968, I find some truths that I think we should talk about. One is, he says, it is unreasonable to expect people of the next generation in any age to continue in the historic Christian position unless they are helped to see where arguments and connotations directed against Christianity and against them as Christians by their generation are fallacious. You see, he's pointing out, we must help the next generation understand where the arguments against our faith aren't true. Instead of them buying into this line that your beliefs are old, you're outdated, you believe scripture, that's an old book, I'm not sure it has anything to say to today, we need to be equipping them to better understand how to speak truth. To their friends, he goes on to say, "We must prepare Christian young people by teaching them what the particular attack in our generation is, in contrast to the attacks of previous generations." Isn't that interesting? 1968. You see, sometimes we think the way that we've approached faith for our generation and the questions we needed to answer is going to be enough for our kids, and it's not. Frankly, the questions our kids are having to answer about faith today are far more complex, far deeper. Their friends have way more information, arguments, ways of debating what it is that Christians believe and why it matters. You see, we're in a moment where our youth must be equipped. I'm so proud to say at our church, we take that seriously. In addition to that, we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like to practice faithfulness in an age of distraction? Because the enemy wants to keep you and I distracted. He doesn't want our eye on the ball, doesn't want us thinking about where things are going, just wants us to try to survive day in and day out. And for the next few moments, I want us to think about what are three of the big questions that our generation's asking? And by our generation, it's all of us, but as we think about the next generation, what are the questions that the Christian faith can actually speak to? What are the questions that Schaefer says are the direct attacks in this cultural moment? So the first idea that that Schaefer brings about on the question of truth. And and here's the question. How do I know truth? How can I know truth? It's a huge debate, isn't it? There's fake news. There's information everywhere. You know, in Timothy, it says we're ever learning and never never able to come to the knowledge of truth. How is it that we can know truth? This is a defining thing for a new generation. It's a defining thing for all of us. In the chaos and the confusion, we don't know who to trust. Our culture tells us that we should just trust whatever we feel. Whatever you feel is true, that's what's true. But scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says this, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six, Or Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart is deceitful above all things. So how can we know truth? We know our emotions are part of how God's designed us. But if this is our defining way, we're going to know what's true. We're going to miss out on a lot of what God has for us. There's this idea that Schaeffer talks about in this pursuit of truth called antithesis. And I need you to go here with me. This is going to feel like a little bit of an education on some, some of these words that you may be heard at one point in your getting your degrees, but you haven't thought about them much since. And it's important that we remember them. The idea of antithesis, that if anything is true, the opposite is false. This is basic logic. If anything is true, the opposite is false. Now today that's completely distorted. The the way we think today is anybody's truth is their truth. And you can have your truth and I can have my truth and all of our truth can just live alongside one another. No big deal. The, the real value is to just get along and not talk about our differences. But if one thing is true, the opposite is false. Let's just look at a few different issues, current culture issues right now where we know scripture says something specific, but our culture says, ah, forget about that. That's not relevant anymore. Sexuality. Scripture very clearly defines that sex is meant to be between a man and a woman inside of a covenant marriage. This is God's design for how human beings would flourish. It's his design for how families would be created. How we'd pass a heritage on from one generation to the next. Not a popular topic to be talking about. We know 50% of our pastors don't want to talk about this topic. Because it can feel divisive or they're scared they're going to offend somebody who disagrees my goal here today isn't to offend it's simply to help us to see the truth of god's word and how it's actually reliable over time you see our culture today just says do whatever you want have sex with whoever you want this idea of marriage is no longer about connecting people and generations it's just a contract between two adults for their own pleasure and fulfillment has nothing to do with being attached to kids in the next generation and we wonder why our families are falling apart
1: We're going to have to push the pause button right there. Thanks for listening today to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And you've been listening to a talk by Gabe called Faithfulness in an Age of Distraction. There's a lot more to this message that Gabe delivered to his home church in Nashville, Tennessee, and we'll continue that next week. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. Have a blessed Christmas week.
0: This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media.
1: Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.